I want to paint a picture this morning. So help me. Let's get out a big canvas if we could for the next few moments. And on that canvas, we're going to erect and begin to paint a picture. And here's the canvas. Here's what's on top of the canvas. Who is Jesus? And why did he die? From the Roman perspective, Jesus was a criminal and needed to be crucified on a wooden stake. He was a threat to the Roman kingdom, Roman empire. So they treated him like a a criminal, beat him like a criminal, and hung him in between two other criminals on a wooden stake. To the religious leaders of his time, he was a threat to their power structure, to their control. And so they got the Roman government to go in with them to crucify him. Again, because he was a threat to their religious control over people's lives. To the followers of Jesus, well, this is absolutely the worst thing that could have happened. They had invested their lives. They had left their nets as fishermen to follow him for three and a half years. They dropped everything, believed in him, followed him, told others about him. And now this individual was hanging on a cross between two criminals. And then something happened on the third day. Jesus rose out of that grave. And in the light of that resurrection, his disciples looked back and they saw something in that death of Jesus that was so vast, so incredible. An event that changed the entire course of human history. One moment in time turned everything in human history on an axis, completely turned it as they were viewing, looking back at his death, now through the light of his resurrection. We're we're painting. We're painting on our canvas. Here in one man, God deliberately and sovereignly altered the entire world. In a moment of human history. Now, what the New Testament does is record the struggle. The ongoing struggle of this infant group of followers to understand, to embrace what had just happened and to try to tell others about it. And you know what? We've been working on that for 2,000 years. Trying to get our arms around what happened on that incredible day over those three days, over the course of a weekend, from Friday evening until the resurrection on Sunday morning. I submit to you that the death and resurrection of Jesus is part of a a seamless movement which began in in eternity, in eternity, with the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, And that movement came down. And with what happened to Jesus... It exalted 
all of humanity back into fellowship with the Father. It was one seamless movement going all the way back, long before the Bible, long before the Old Testament, long before the prophets, long before even Jesus appeared on the earth, long before any and all of that. There was a seamless movement starting with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what happened to Jesus was all just a part of that movement coming down and then taking humanity and reconciling them and bringing them back into fellowship with Almighty God. If we're going to understand in this canvas who Jesus is and why he had to die, we have to go all the way back there. Not just back to the Bible days. Not just back to Jesus and his teaching and the disciples who followed him. We have to go back into eternity. We have to go back to a time where the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, were just loving each other, fellowshipping with one another, admiring one another, honoring one another. There was this beautiful journey, this beautiful love and fellowship between them. And, and it was a journey. It was a journey we can't even comprehend with our natural minds that just has no date in the past. We don't, God had no beginning. And we have to go back there and understand everything in this canvas about who Jesus was and why he had to die in light of the Trinity, the eternal past. Now, religion and most Protestant theology begins this discussion of the death of Jesus with God's holiness. Then man's fall, sin and brokenness and separation, then God's wrath, his anger at sin, law, the law came, and so there was guilt and there was shame and there was punishment. And man was on his way to hell. That's the classical Christian understanding of this canvas. Oh, and then the good news, Easter, Jesus came, taught, died, rose again, as if finally to step in the way of God's wrath and appease God, if you will, appease and go ahead and suffer himself this divine wrath and punishment and ultimately provide a way for Christians for those who will live a moral life, live a certain, by a certain code, to experience forgiveness and to go to heaven. How are we doing so far? Classical Christianity. However, not the Bible. Not the good news. And not the canvas that God wants us to paint. May I ask you something? Why do we see Satan as more successful than Jesus? Why do we see more people in hell than we do ever going to heaven? It's like in common Christianity, especially here in the Western world, Jesus becomes a mere footnote to the fall of Adam. A footnote that would have never happened if Adam hadn't disobeyed God in the first place. It's, it's like Jesus was plan B if Adam just hadn't blown it. 
Paul wrote in the New Testament in a book called Ephesians, even as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for an adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To understand why Jesus came and why he had to die, we have to look at three words. Number one, Trinity. Number two, Ascension, and number three, sin. Let's do that for just a minute. Trinity. Historical Christianity has always espoused the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What we often don't look at is that this Holy Trinity existed in all of eternity. And long before you and I, and long before the Bible, and long before all of this system of rules and all of that, this Holy Trinity loved each other, they had fellowship, they had mutual respect, there was this thing going on, and then, out of the womb of that Trinity, that love, that fellowship, that mutual respect, out of that womb came the desire for man. And Genesis says it this way, let us, plural, not let me, let us, or not I will, but plural, let us, speaking of the Trinity, create man. Let us make man in our image. God so loved you and me. God so loved humanity that we were birthed out of this womb from eternity past. This womb of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who had this perfect love and admiration and honor and appreciation for one another. That's where the desire for man came from, from the Trinity. Then we have ascension, this stunning decision that the Father made to include humanity in the Trinity. How many of you know, the the Bible speaks of this, That Jesus was not only God, incarnate flesh, but that he laid down his divinity, took on the form of a servant, and Jesus actually became a man. He was born of a virgin. Born with human birth, came into the earth as a man. And then in his resurrection, he went back to the right hand of the Father and sat down. You know, understand what this means? That before the world ever began, the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit opened itself up to include human beings. Jesus is the first human being included in that love and fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. This is incredible. It's the most incredible thing that's ever happened. And long before the New Testament, and and long before the world was created, the Trinity had already decided they were going to open their fellowship, open that precious communion up to humanity. And Jesus became the first one. Two words set God apart from all religion 
and every other religious figure. Two words. Number one, Trinity. This wonderful fellowship of love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. And number two, listen, humility. God stooped. God came. God sent Jesus. So unlike every other religion that reaches up to try to find God, that chases after God, that tries to be good enough to find God, God flips that on its head. And he sends Jesus to become a man so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says, and sit down with God at his right hand as a human being. Oh my goodness. God stooped, God bowed, God humbled himself to redeem you. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. Jesus, a human being, now exists inside of the Trinitarian God and community. How about that third word, sin? Ah, Christians are big on sin. We're about sin. You know, we, we hate it, we're not supposed to do it, but we, we do it and we feel bad and we feel guilty and we know if we do too much of it and we don't get it right and we don't get forgiveness and we don't go to confession and oh, this whole list, we're going to go to hell. And sorry for you, if you haven't made the same decision I've made, you will wind up in hell. And this whole religious system of punishment and wrath and it has nothing to do with the Bible, it has nothing to do with God or the Trinity or why God created man and why Jesus came. We do need to talk about sin. Sin is not an action. Sin is this profound spiritual disease that infiltrated the human race through Adam and Eve. It's not just the original act, but it's the entire darkness. It's the entire brokenness and condition of man. And it all started, by the way, with Adam believing a lie. The serpent came to him and said, Has God said... Has God said, did God tell you? Well, actually, that's not true, the serpent said to Adam. He knows that if you eat of this tree, you'll actually become like God. Adam believed and he ate. Now, what was God's response? What was God's reaction to Adam partaking and doing what he wasn't supposed to do? Did God rise up in his wrath, in his anger, his vindictive punishment? And say, all right, you are going to hell. You and the whole human race after you, you're going to go to hell. Was that God's reaction? It wasn't. In fact, God's reaction was a holy and a divine, no, no. And right then, God stepped in with a plan that actually had been decided before the foundation of the world. The same passion that created the world and created man was how God responded to this sin that had happened. I will not let go of you. I will not throw you away. I will not let you go to hell. I go am going to embrace you. I have a way to bring you back to myself. That was God's reaction. So... The religious view of God is that he's sort of this divine ogre. Oh, come on. 
I, I, I learned that in Sunday school, right? How many of you? See? God's sort of this divine ogre that has this bloodthirsty anger that demands justice and punishment. When in truth, God's character is seen in the Trinity. That's why we have to go in our canvas that we're painting. We have to go back all the way to the Trinity and realize there isn't anything in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that speaks of that kind of punishment and wrath. Everything in God's nature is love and fellowship and mutual respect, and he redeemed man to be part of that. So, indeed, we're on a journey. Could we show that slide regarding the series and the journey? For the next uh, three weeks after this morning, next week we're going to talk about the presence and absence of God in your life. What, why do we go through those experiences? Number three, why bad things happen to good people? All of us have asked that question. And then number four, why it isn't linear? Why, why religious faith is not linear? I wish it were. I wish it was just linear. But it's up and down and it has curves and it, there's problems to it. Why? And then we're going to talk about this principle of actually falling up. You'll want to be here. Oh, you just got to be here. You got to be here for the whole series. Here's what Paul wrote in a book in the New Testament called Romans. For since our fellowship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through his life, the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ was, has made us friends of God. That's why we entitled this first message this morning, From Fragmentation to Friendship. God doesn't see you as fragmented. God doesn't see you as distant. God is not separated from you. God's not having a bad day. God's not mad. He loves you. He's embraced you. He wants you right by his side. In fact, he's done everything necessary to completely and independently actually of me saying so or choosing it. He's reconciled me to himself already through what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't struggle to be like Jesus. He is us on the cross. He was us in that grave. He is us in the resurrection. And he is us on our journey through this life from a fragmented life into the glorious re-embrace of the Father. That's why we call this series The Journey. What, what really this is about is the journey of Jesus back to the Father as the first human being ever to be included into the Trinity. Do you know you're there? You were co-crucified with him. You were co-buried with him. You were co-raised with him. And right now, you are there, seated in heavenly places with Christ, Paul said. You, you have been born again. You have been made righteous. God is not counting your sins against you. Aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you glad that nothing in the love and fellowship of the Trinity desires your demise or judgment, but everything desires us to be close to him and included and reconciled to him? And he's already done it through Christ. I want to read you a passage as we prepare here to close our time from a special translation of the Bible that we've grown very fond of here 
called the Mirror Bible. I want you to give it your full attention, would you? This again is the words of Paul from Romans. The conclusion is clear. It took just one offense to condemn mankind. One act of righteousness declares the same mankind innocent. We see then that as one act of sin exposed the whole race of men to condemnation, so one act of perfect righteousness presents all men freely acquitted in the sight of God. Verse 19. The disobedience of the one man exhibits humanity as sinners, but the obedience of another man exhibits humanity as righteous. Dear ones, you are not waiting to become righteous. You're not waiting to become good enough for God to accept you. You're not struggling through life trying to appease God or please God. Jesus already did that for us. You are in him, and he has reconciled you. I'm so thankful this morning for what Jesus did. How about you? Can you see the canvas being filled in a little better? Does it look a little clearer? The death, burial, and resurrection? You say, well, how, how do I apply this? This is nice theology, but what do I do with this now? Well, number one, quit believing the lie that you are not good enough. Quit believing the lie that somehow you are incomplete and you need to do something to help God out. That's how Adam fell originally in the garden. He believed that lie. Number two, because you were co-crucified, because you were co-resurrected with Christ, you are now co-seated with him. He wants your life on this planet to be one of provision, abundance, and joy. It's not linear, but he does want it to be full of provision and joy. you got to come back to the rest of these messages to find out how that works. And number three, what would happen if we started being for things instead of against things? What would happen if we started being for people instead of against people? What would happen if instead of finding things to pick apart and judge about people, we started finding all of the great things that God has made them in himself and spotlight those, highlight those, talk about those. Because that's who you are. That's where you are. You're seated with him. He's the firstborn among many brethren. You are his. Could we stand? Stand with me, please.